Now I would like to just welcome Eleni, who's going to be sharing a testimony. And then we have the wonderful Melissa, who's going to be preaching and continuing our series in Ruth. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I wasn't brought up in a Christian household. Um, so I very quickly turned to the world. I turned to family, I turned to the media um, to kind of find where I belonged and um, to find my identity. And looking back, and I think in general, um, we tend to have like this deep desire, this, this core need to feel loved, to feel like we belong, to feel valued, to feel accepted. And um, I looked for those things outside of God. And that led me to experience a lot of pain over the years and for my identity to really be kind of distorted. Um, so when I was in my 20s, uh, God sent five women at different periods of my life um, into my life who shared their faith with me, really challenged um, my way of thinking, encouraged me to join churches, and, um, and discipled me. Um, and if I could title that chapter of my life, it would be um, the Holy Spirit and five women. Um, so the first woman that I met, the first two women I met was at university. And they introduced me to the YouVersion Holy Bible app, and they encouraged me to download it. And at the time, one of the many kind of coping mechanisms that I had uh, was smoking. And I really wanted to give it up. So she had her own things that she was going through. And she said, why don't we download the YouVersion Bible app, and why don't we do the Daniel fast together? So I thought, well, why not? So we downloaded it, and uh, we fasted, and we prayed, and I stopped smoking. That was like a significant point in my life, because it was the first time that I'd actually read scripture, and um, I had the version Bible app on my phone, and I kept it because I had a lot of anxiety at the time, and I would just type in the word anxiety, and it would bring up like scriptures, and it would bring up plans, and when I read it, I felt different, um, and at the time, I don't know what it was, but I kept it, and I continued to just research things. I'd just type in anxiety and read a Bible verse when I was feeling really anxious or do a plan. And the second woman, she just really encouraged me and would challenge the way I think. So I think I fell kind of into like the new age kind of beliefs. And she'd really challenge my, my beliefs and question me and, and think, well, why do you think like that? So I'd have to take a seat back and think. Um, the third person I met was Melissa. And um, I had just had my daughter at this point. And I was just in a really dark place at the time, just going through a really hard time. And Melissa and I met at some traffic lights and she just got talking to me. And that was really significant because I think I really struggled to trust people growing up. And Melissa just was such a light in my life at that time and loved me. And I just felt like I could be myself and come as I was. And I was not used to that at all. But I, find it, I found it really hard to, to trust there because I still just had, I hadn't had things changed in my heart or in my mind. So I was just going based off of my own experiences. So Melissa shared her faith with me. She would meet with me. We would... We developed a deep friendship, and um, I would have never thought that four years from now on that we would be going to the same church. I had no idea that we'd go be going to the same church, that our daughters would be in the same school, and that we would meet regularly on a Monday to fellowship and to encourage each other and to pray. But it's amazing because God knew that, even though I didn't. So um, the fourth woman, so during this period of time, I was still reading scripture, and, um, and I started to just begin to actually just become aware. I remember the first time I actually became aware of like my own sin. And um, that really scared me. 
because I had like this sudden light bulb moment where it felt like someone just turned on the light and I was suddenly aware that God could actually see me and he could see the things that I thought, he could see the things that I did and um, it felt really scary because I think when you think that you're your own God and there's no consequences except for the consequences that you apply to yourself, you kind of excuse behaviors or you deny parts of yourself, which is definitely what I did. Um, so I then met this fourth woman. We were in Pret, and Alexis Ray, my daughter, was sitting in her high chair and started babbling to this other baby. And the mum said to me, it looks like they want to talk, so why don't you come and sit with us? So she invited me over, and we started talking. And she shared her testimony with me and just asked me if I was plugged into a church and told me that it was really important that I was in a church. So she told me the name of a church, and I kind of thought, well, that was random. But I, I now know there's no such thing as random events that take place in our lives. And um, I, I left there, but I was amazed at her testimony and her faith in God. Um, so the fifth woman that I met, um, I met through my mom. And um, she'd been kind of like telling me to meet up with her over a period of a couple of months. And I just thought, I do not want to do that, because I just hadn't had good experiences in the past, and I thought this is a bit weird. So we eventually met, and um, she told me that she'd been praying for me. She'd been praying, and that my name came onto her heart. And um, she said she just felt like we needed to meet. And she told me that she was actually attending that church that the fourth lady mentioned that same week. So we went together, and over like a period of a couple of months, she would invite me around to her house, and she would, she would, um, we'd share stories, we'd, we developed a deep friendship, and um, she'd also get me to bring my Bible around, and she would get me to read the Bible out loud, and we would then um, talk about it and discuss it. Um, but I was still feeling this weight, and I think I was quite used to dealing with things on my own, so um, when I tried to think about how I could resolve this, I only really felt guilty and just kind of scared because I just thought, I don't know how to make this feeling go away. So then at the end of the service, um, they preached the gospel. And I just remember there just being this light bulb moment where I realized that I actually didn't have to find a solution to the wrongs that I had made, that I had listed. I actually listed them and would like be concerned and pray about them. But I realized in that moment that actually Jesus died for me and that he took those, he took those sins away when he died for me. And um, that's where I, I gave my life to Christ. Yeah, a couple of months later, I um, got baptized and I just continued, just he's continued to work on me and show me how deep the father's love is for his children and just continued to work in my heart. And I've been under permanent construction since then. And, um, and so thankful to be his child. Thank you so much, Eleni, for your testimony. I actually remember the day that I met her. So just, I remember it so well. It was about five years ago. Literally, Walpole Park traffic lights. We both were pushing our babies together, and we just started talking. And she's right. Who knew that five years later that we'd be in the same church, we'd pray most Mondays together, and we have a great fellowship? And you question, was that a coincidence, or was that God incidence? I'll leave you with that to think about. So like I said, my name's Melissa. Um, and I've been here for the last 10 years, and I've grown massively. Um, and we're in the middle of a series called Ruth. Ruth is in the Old Testament in the book of the Bible, and it's such a wonderful book. It's a book of romance. It's a book of redemption. It's a book of um, love, loyalty. There are so many themes in this book. Greg kicked us off last week with Ruth chapter 1. 
And it told the story of a family who had led, left Fatmin and moved from one place to another with tragedy at the core of the chapter. The chapter is devastating. Let's recap. So you have, I love pictures, so I'm a visual learner, so you'll have a, a, a picture of exactly what goes on. So you had a gentleman called Elemelech. I love that name, Elemelech. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. But Elemelech, he is married to a lady called Naomi. They're from Bethlehem, Judah. Um, and a famine strikes the area. Now, instead of them to stay, they decide to flee, and they go around the Dead Sea. Um, I like pictures, as you know. So they go from um, Bethlehem over around the Dead Sea and move to a place called Moab. It's actually pronounced Moab in Hebrew. Moabites were descendants of an ancestral relationship between Lot and his daughter. They were cursed people, and they were not to mix with God's people. They were pagan worshippers, and they even sacrificed babies. They weren't the best of a bunch of people. They stay there for approximately 10 years, and during this, this time, their sons Malon and Killian marry two Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. That's actually where Oprah on TV gets her name from. And this was an absolute no-no. Remember, these were cursed people. They weren't actually meant to mix, um, but they did. Tragedy strikes, and during this time, Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, but also the two sons die. Naomi is now husbandless and childless. All the three women are now widows. Ten years have passed, and Naomi hears the famine has ended. So she makes her way back to her homeland with her two daughters-in-laws. Halfway through the journey, Naomi tells Orpah and Naomi, don't bother coming with me. She's like, I've got nothing to offer. My husband's dead. I'm too old. I'm not going to be able to marry again. Do you know what? Just stay back in Moab. Find new husbands. So Orpah agrees, and she makes her way back. But Ruth, being as loyal as she is, good old Ruth pleads with Naomi and tells her, no, I'm going with you. And then we then read this beautiful, poetic monologue from Ruth, which reads, Ruth 1 in 16. Where you will go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It's just fascinating. In that one particular time, we see she, gives her, she basically takes on someone else's God. Remember, she's from the Moab. They were pagan worshippers. But she accepts God right there, right then. You see, the decisions you make today can determine the story that you tell tomorrow. Yeah. Remember, Ruth, like I said, is a pagan, a pagan worshipper. But she chooses at this point and makes a decision to serve the God of Israel. This determines the rest of the story. So they go back together, and Naomi returns to her homeland. There's lots of hype when she gets back. Everyone's really excited to see her, for, I'm sure, for various reasons. She hasn't been there for 10 years. And when she returns, she tells her people, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi means delight. Mara means bitter. Naomi is bitter. She's bitter about her life, understandably. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She even says she believes that God has punished her. She even says in Ruth 1.13, the Lord's hand has turned against me. She's broken. Her life is an absolute mess. 
I'm sure some of you can relate. Maybe life has been incredibly hard. For some, it could be multiple bereavements, multiple bereavements as a child. For some, it could be a really traumatic childhood. Some of you, it could be abuse of some sort. For some, it's extreme poverty, war. I don't know. It could be many different things for many different people. It could be health. I'm not sure. Some of you are in this situation right now. Some of you are in a situation and come out the other side, and you still follow Jesus, and I'm thankful to God. That's so amazing. Some of you are going through this now, and you may feel that life is broken. And some of you are just trying to figure out who God is in all of this, in the brokenness. These life situations, they are very, very real. And they're very, very painful for some. But do you know what? The book of Ruth proclaims that God wins. Hallelujah. This book reminds us that God works all things for the good of those who love him. I repeat that again, all things. I truly believe and pray that the book of Ruth helps you navigate through these difficult times. So let's go back to Ruth. If you've got your Bible, you can bring it out. It'll be up on the screen as well. Let's see how the story unfolds. Ruth 2, 1 to 4. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, She was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he says. The Lord bless you, they answered. These four verses hint towards how the story will play out. If you're from the Jewish culture back then, you would recognize that there might be some romance and some hope on the horizon. Let me tell you why. This is because back then, in the Jewish culture, if your husband died, a relative of the deceased man could literally redeem the possessions and the property for the purpose of keeping a man's name alive. They could redeem the man's wife and have children with her in order to continue the family line. I appreciate that's not really the cultural thing these days, but that was what happened back then. They were obliged to step in and rescue the family, so the author mentioning this is is good news. It hints at hope, but Naomi had lost sight of all hope. We saw that in chapter one. She'd She'd lost hope and sight in the fact that maybe someone might be able to restore her family fortune. I pray God helps you see this. I pray God helps you see clearly in your workplace and home during the trials and tribulations. I pray God helps you recognize hope when there seems to be none. And if you aren't a Christian, I truly believe that God can change your life today. He can give you the hope that you're looking for. I truly believe that. So let's look at Boaz. Boaz means strength. He's a worthy man. A man of standing. In some translations, it says wealthy man. Either way, all three things are positive things. He's well-respected. He's honorable. 
He's noble and he's a godly man. Look at the way he greets his team. How many of you get that greeting when you go to work? May the Lord bless you, he says. I certainly don't get that. I literally run in and I, we don't even say hi to each other, to be fair. <laughs> May, I do, you know, maybe for some people who work in Christian organisations, I don't know, you might be able to tell me later. It's just not the norm. Redeemer workers, tell me. <laughs> when Pete comes into the office, does he come in and say, may the Lord bless you? I, 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 you can tell me later, that's fine. <laughs> the point is, he's a godly man, and this was during the judges as well. During the judges' times, everyone did what they saw fit. Um, and the fact that he's still faithful to God shows a lot. What are you like at work? What would your colleagues say about you? It's so easy to be polished on a Sunday and say, the Lord bless you and everything, but what are you like at work? If you want to see how far the gospel touches someone, you need to see how they are in everyday situations. I'll leave that with you to think about as well. In verse 3, it mentions gleaning. Gleaning was God's welfare program in the Bible. It was a great system for taking care of the poor via the generosity of his people. Gleaning was the practice of going into a recently harvested field and picking up whatever grain remained. God commanded Israel in Leviticus 19, 9 to 10, to deliberately leave some food behind for the poor and the needy of the land to go get food. They were deliberately not to pick up grains from the edges so the poor could go in and collect. So again, you see uh, this continued theme, there may be a glimmer of hope woven into the story. We have a close relative, he's this amazing man of God who blesses everyone, and he could redeem them, but also we have God's provision over how they may be able to feed themselves. More interestingly, you see this phrase, as it turned out. So it's, as it, was t- it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out, so it just happened. Coincidence. The Hebrew translation is literally chance by chance. I want you to think about the coincidences in your life. Are they actually coincidences? Maybe it's a coincidence that you had this annoying friend who kept inviting you to church, and here you are. Maybe it's a coincidence of how Ade and I actually ended up in Ealing. Ade's my husband, and um, we came here 10 years ago. I absolutely hated West London. Sorry for those of you born and bred in London. I am a North Londoner. Shout out to my North Londoners. And um, so at the time, we just got married. I was still up at med school, and um, we, we needed a place to stay. And um, <laughs> I remember there was an organization who were offering... Um, flats below market value um, to people who were working for the government. At the time, Adit was working for the government. So we applied. I remember there were 10 different places. One of them was in West London, and the rest of them were in other places in North London. And I was like, yeah, you know, I really want to go to North London. Adit had grown up in Ladbroke Grove, and so he really wanted to go back. Anyway, we got the call, and of course, what option did they give us? West London. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Okay, fine. And I was like, Ade, do we have to go? He was like, look, we've got nowhere to live. Let's go. You know, let's, let's go. So we picked um, West London, and we lived up, um, in Pittsanger side at the top near, near Pittsanger. Um, and it was meant to be an 18-month contract. And I was like, brilliant. 18 months, we'll get out of here, we'll bounce. So 
18 months, the contract keeps rolling and rolling, and 18 months turns into five years. And, and we end up staying there for ages. That's the first coincidence. And then I remember when we moved to um, Ealing, I said to Adam, okay, I'm up here, go and find a church. So he typed in Ealing Church, and what do you know, the first church that came up was Redeemer Church London. Coincidence. Well, I actually know now it's not a coincidence because Mark had orchestrated it so that <laughs> when, you type in Redeem, when you type in Ealing Church, Redeemer Church London has, comes up, it's via Google Ads or something. So I know for a fact, was that a coincidence or was that a God incident? And for those of you who probably did the same, we're all here for the same reason, and it's down to Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all gone. We've got Mark to thank. And I, sorry, just to add further to that, um, we, so that could have been coincidence, but you, you see, I, I don't think so. When it came to staying here, we've been here, we, at the five-year mark, we were going to move away, um, more bang for our buck. We wanted to get out, you know, the, the fresh air, all that la di da di da And then we had a breakfast again with Mark and Abby. And we'd already decided that we were going to move. We'd made that decision. And we sat down with them. We told them we were going to move. And then Mark was like, I think you can stay. I think you'd be able to afford it. I really, really think you could do it, you know. And I could see Ade shaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can do it. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, like, please stop listening to this guy. Um, by the time we knew, our, our, our path of destiny had changed. And Ade was like, right, we're staying here. And I was like, oh, OK. My, uh, it was completely vetoed. And I was like, well, maybe you two should, you and Mark should get married rather than me. <laughs> but you know what? God had a plan. You might be, I could say these were coincidences, but I call them God incidences. And that's the beauty of God. Yeah, that's the beauty of God. We had no intention of being here, but here we are, and we've grown spiritually, um, and we're embedded in the community, and I thank God for that. Ruth had no intention of finding Boaz's field. Of all the fields in the whole of Bethlehem, she somehow ends up in Boaz. Remember, Boaz is Elimelech's cousin, and he has the possibility of redeeming them. It seemed random. It seemed by chance. It seemed like a coincidence. But unknown to the characters and the plays of the story, this took place as God had intended. It underscores God's sovereign orchestration of all events. The beauty about Ruth, it stands uniquely in the Old Testament. There were no supernatural interventions. There's no prophets. There's no vision. There's no burning bush. There are no plagues. There are no miracles. It looks like the everyday playings of life. Ruth teaches us and shows us that God does not have to break in supernaturally or extraordinarily to take sovereign over our lives. It seems random, it seems mundane, but he is orchestrating things in your life as part of his perfect plan and according to his time. And even the challenges, not just the good stuff. God is good, and we know that in the end. He will work it out all together for the good as our faithful God promises. So have hope, as he is always working according to the time. And the beauty is there is purpose in everything that God does. And if you're one of God's children, he is working in you and through you in your life today. So back to five. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi, she said. Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. 
She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. See, we get more of a glimpse of Ruth's wonderful character. She's hardworking. She's diligent. She's been there all day in the warm sun. She's also humble. But what really strikes me here is the question, who does that young woman belong to? It's not, who is that? It's more of a concern like, who's looking after this woman? You've got to remember, Ruth has literally no reason for anyone to be not kind to her or anyone to like her. She's got quite a few strikes against her. Let's name them. And I mean culturally strikes against her. She's a foreigner. But she's not just any foreigner. She is a Moabite woman. Remember, these were God's cur- They were cursed. They were complete no-nos. They came from an ancestral relationship. People didn't really want to know them. She is a widow. And in that culture, she may not have been desirable anymore. She's poor. She's got no money. Not respected. And she's a woman. Again, men were seen as better at that time than women or valued more. And she probably doesn't look great either. She's been working in the field all day. Her hair's probably not in the right place. <laughs> My point is, she really hasn't got going, much going for her in a worldly view. But the beauty is that Boaz sees beyond this. Boaz sees her as a beautiful person made in the image and likeness of God. He sees her in the eyes of redemption like God sees you. I promise you that. We know that Boaz is a godly man. But more importantly, Boaz points us to the kind of God that we serve. How Boaz deals with Ruth with kindness is how God does with you. The story shows us that there is no record of race or rating, and absolutely everyone can be a part of God's family. And this includes foreigners, refugees, no matter what the media tells you. Amen. Eight. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. This would have been outrageous. This would have been scandalous. So she's a Moabite woman, and she would not have been treated nicely. But Boaz has actually commanded the opposite. He's told his men to serve her. That's literally, it would have just been scandalous. 10. At this, she bowed down with her, head, her face to the ground. She asked him, why have you found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz is a protector. Boaz is a provider. Boaz gives her undeniable favor. That is exactly how God is. He gives protection, he gives provision, and he gives favor. Verse 10 is a beautiful picture of what it's like to come to Jesus. It's a beautiful posture. Head bowed, face down, asking God, why have you found favor in me? You see, you recognize the kindness and love of God and recognize, I don't deserve this. I am broken. I have spent my whole life turning away from you, but you have chosen me. I have nothing to offer. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Have you found favor in God's eyes? Not because of what you have done. Remember, Ruth had nothing to offer. 
But because of Boaz's love and kindness and generosity, she has come to him. That's all you need to come to him, to come to Jesus, because Jesus has paid the price on the cross for you. He has paid the debt. If you are a Christian, when was the last time you truly soaked that in? Like, why me? When was the last time you truly tasted the love? Maybe you are going to church every single week and, you know, you are a church goer. But when was the last time you truly felt that love and kindness from Jesus Christ? Think about it. Eleven, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I'll say that again. Come to take refuge. 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by, by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So you may look at this and think, okay, so Boaz favored her because of her good behavior. She asked, why has he found favor in her? And he responds basically, okay, you've worked hard, you're a good girl, you know, you've been faithful. And in turn, someone might say, okay, for the Lord to love me and repay me with kindness... I need to do all these things, like work hard and be faithful. Let me tell you today, that is not the gospel. And it's, not what, it's truly not what it's saying. The key point is to take from the last verse, under the wings you have come to take refuge. She has been blessed because she has come to take refuge under the wings of God. If you are not a Christian, please forget about earning his love. All you need to do is take refuge under his wings and he will change you. If you are not a Christian and people keep saying to you, you need to change, you need to change, but they don't introduce Jesus to you and they don't introduce Christ to you, you're going to find it hard. It's literally impossible. You cannot do it under your own power. You will be carrying too much of a burden. It will literally just weigh you down. It's too much. But when you surrender... And then you take refuge under God's wings. You accept him as your Lord and Savior. It's such a beautiful picture. Jesus will start to live inside of you. He'll overflow inside of you. You will naturally just want to change. You will repent and you will desire to be like him by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Henry Drummond, he was a Scottish evangelist. And he said, willpower does not change men. Time does not change my men but Christ does. If you are not a Christian, today is the day where you say, I'm not exactly sure what this is all about. But Jesus, I know this is real. Let me take refuge under your wing. Remember, you do not have to repay anything. Just come to him. 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. 
So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. When she threshed the barley, she had gathered it, and it amounted to an, about an epaph. That's about 40 to 50 pounds. God gives you more and more abundantly, more than you could ever imagine, more grace, more love, more patience, more kindness, more mercy. He gives you more than you could ever imagine. 18, she carried it back to the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. So not only are we blessed, but we can be a blessing to others. Even during the trials and the pain, he gives us more than enough. Whatever you need, God will provide it for you. Jehovah Jireh, it literally means the Lord will provide. Nine, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Ruth tells Naomi about the goodness that has occurred in her day. And as Christians, we should be doing exactly that. Are we declaring the goodness of God in our lives? During the trials and tribulations or general life, people might say to you, I'm sure, how do you handle this? Where do you get your peace from? How come you have so much joy? Where did you get your perseverance from? We should be able to declare and respond and say, but God, but God, because I can only go through this because of God. It's, he's holding me. And sometimes it may not be verbal, but if we are to be a living and walking witness of God's goodness through the trials and out of the trials, people should be able to say, but God is good through us. Sometimes it may just be about just be being able to stand and stand faithful. And others, other times it may be full on praise, declaration, adoration. It just depends where you are in your life. 20, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. In this very short book, with 85 verses, Redeemer is mentioned 23 times. This is a constant reminder of what Christ has done for us. Let me tell you about this man called Jesus Christ. He became fully man and walked this earth like you and me. He had the right to redeem us because he had no sin of his own. He could take your sin and my sin by the, his body on the cross. He died on that cross, taking all the shame, all the guilt, wickedness, so we could be redeemed. He prayed the price. He brings life, and life more abundantly. When you sin, I see it's kind of like you have famine. You are starving. Something's missing. But when you come to Jesus, you are full. You have more food than you can imagine. And like Ruth, the bitter becomes sweet again, which we'll learn even more about in the next few chapters. Mara, bitter, becomes Naomi by the end, who she truly was. The worldly view is you live and then you die. As a follower of Jesus, you die and then you live and you have life. This is an invitation to come and surrender to God and take refuge under his wings. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You might have that beating in your heart and say, you know, I'm not too sure. I want to surrender. I tell you, do it. 
Just do it. Your life will change for the better forever. In a second, Pete will lead this invitation via prayer. But in the meantime, I'll leave this ver- you with this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. My, one of my favorites. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Through the hard times and the challenges, please know that the Lord has a plan for you and wants to prosper you. He never wants to harm you. And in all of it, there's hope. Hope even in the darkness. Amen. Thank you.